turn with me. I think I want to start in Philippians chapter 3. There are a number of things that we need to say. I want to start a new series this morning on being led by the Spirit of God. But we have to address some things that have happened this week in our country. We've had two landmark decisions this week by the Supreme Court. A majority of nine people have decided what they believe to be the truth. And, they have, and those decisions affect all of us. The first decision, the first of the two important decisions, and there were several others and, and, and other significant ones that haven't really gotten any reporting. But one of the um, uh, significant decisions had to do with the Obamacare. And, um, and, and folks, I understand that health care is an issue for a lot of people. I, I believe that health care is going to be a major issue in the last days, maybe like never before. But it's not going to be the hospitals that fix the health care issue. It's not going to be the government that fixes the health care issue. The health care issue that's going to be prominent in the last days is the healing power of God. Now, it may be, and I don't have a crystal ball, and I'll, I'll share with you the things that the Lord has shown me. And, uh, and there are some things that he's told me, that he's refer- revealed to me, that he won't allow me to tell you yet. So I've got to be real careful that I don't go too far. Sometimes I get, preach- get happy preaching and go a little bit too far. I'm going to make sure I don't do that this morning. But it may be, and, and this is something I don't know for sure, it may be that um, the health care issue, the national health care issue, is, becomes a prominent issue in such a manner so that it sets the stage for the healing power of God. That's entirely possible. I mean, the more the world gets to thinking about health care, for God to come in and show his healing power, that would set the stage for it. So that may be something having to do with it. But, the, but for me, the ruling is a lot more serious than just health insurance. Um, because the Supreme Court basically ruled that words don't mean anything. And if words don't mean anything, then the law doesn't mean anything. Or maybe a better way to say that is the law means whatever the ruling party in power says it means. Which is exactly what was ruled this week. Now, whichever side of the issue you're on, whichever political party or affiliation you have, I don't care. The truth is the truth. And the Supreme Court does not make the truth. And so the end result of the, of the Obamacare ruling for me is lawlessness. The absence of law. Because if the law as it's written doesn't mean what it's written, then what is it supposed to mean and who gets to decide? That was the ruling. And, of course, the other ruling is the gay marriage one, and that's the one everybody's talking about. And for the second time in history, the Supreme Court has institutionalized sin. First was in, I think it was 1973, when the abortion issue was decided, so-called decided, by the Supreme Court. It institutionalized murder. Now they've institutionalized homosexuality. Now, by that, I don't mean that people have changed their opinions. I don't believe gays are going to go straight and straight are going to go gays because of the Supreme Court ruling. But it's nationalized and institutionalized sin. They've taken a position contrary to the truth. They've rejected any knowledge of God in their minds, which is exactly part of the process, the the progression that Romans 1 talks about regarding man's sin and man's depraved state. Because of the fall of man. 
Now, neither one of these things surprised me. I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by seeing other people surprised. Because if, if you know anything about spiritual things, if you know anything about the future as, as identified in Scripture, you have to see this stuff coming. I think I've even said some said things like that in church, and and still I've had people call and say, "Oh, Pastor Mike, what are we going to do?" Well, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm going to keep believing God. My situation hadn't changed. Now I realize things have changed for the country, but I but in spite of not being surprised, I was saddened. I was disappointed by both of these rulings. One of them in particular just made me shake my head and say, "What in the world are these people thinking?" But Predominantly, the um, the feeling I had of this thing was a supernatural sadness. Now, in Philippians chapter three, Paul talks about some things. Uh, let me let me point some a couple of things out to you. Um, well, let's see where do I want to start here. Let's start in verse seventeen, Philippians three seventeen. Paul said, "Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have heard." Uh, as you have us for an example. Pay attention to the people that live right and follow their example, in other words. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction and whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. Conversation means manner of life, our lifestyle. Our lifestyle originates from heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now the thing that that the Lord really quickened me about this week is verse 19. Or verse 18, I'm sorry. Paul's talking about people that walk wrong, people that live wrong, people that operate in in the flesh and in sin, and he said that he weeps about it. And that's the thing that, 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 uh, that this week has had an impact on me. More than ever before, I think now is the time to weep for our country. The Bible says that judgment is coming upon them that do wrong. We know that judgment is coming upon the earth, not upon the church, but upon the earth. The church is supposed to judge itself. God doesn't judge the church. But the Bible also says very clearly, both Old Testament and New, that God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. It's not like God's sitting back waiting for, to pour out his wrath. Now, he does want to pour out his wrath upon sin, but he doesn't want that to be upon anybody. That's why he came and, and sent Jesus to the earth to separate man from his sin, to pass judgment on sin without passing judgment on mankind. But I've been... Weeping for America this week more than ever before in my life. And I think it's because of the time that we live in. I I know that it is. I'm convinced that it is. Because of the time that we live in. Now I think we have an obligation. And I I didn't want to say anything. I'd rather just let it go. Preach the word. Leave it at that. But I feel an obligation. To let you know what I know about what's coming. I think it's important for us to know the times that we live in. The Bible talks about not being deceived. Well, there's two ways you can be deceived. You can be deceived by thinking the wrong thing. You can also be deceived by having your eyes shut and not seeing what's really going on around us. 
So I believe that we have an obligation to know where we are and what our time is. I don't see things getting better for America. Let me tell you about a prophecy that took place in 1982. I think it was February of 1982. Uh, for those of you that are not old enough to remember, Reagan had, was elected in 1980, took office in January of 1981. So he's been in office for 13 months, about 13 months. Now, one of the things that Reagan ran on, President Reagan ran on, was uh, the Soviet Union and uh, breaking down the, 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 the evil empire and, and, uh, and that type of stuff. He was really strong on, on stopping the Soviet uh, aggression and, and uh, progress and so forth and was roundly criticized in the media for it. Well, um, when he came into office, it was either in the last part of his first term or in the first part of his second term, which would have been 1980, sometime in 1984 or 1985, I guess, before he ever met one of the Russian leaders, and that was Gorbachev. And he was criticized by that, too, because he had talked about communism and, and stopping the spread of communism and, and the, the advance of, of the Soviet Union and that kind of stuff. And the, and the news media would criticize him for not going overseas. Why aren't you meeting with these communist leaders and so forth? And, uh, and his response was, well, they keep dying on me. And if, if you remember those times, there was a space of three or four years where they had like five or six different communist leaders. As soon as they'd say somebody was in charge, they'd die. So Reagan was making the point that he didn't have, a, didn't have anybody to meet with. Nobody was in office long enough to do anything. Well, in, in January of, or February of 1982, Brother Hagin was having a seminar, his winter Bible seminar there in, uh, in Tulsa the campus of Ramah, and uh, regular service, normal service, midweek service, something like that, or middle of the week uh, evening service, Brother Hagin called up a lady by the name of Jeannie Wilkerson. I don't expect many of you to know her. Those of you that do know anything about her, she's gone home to be with the Lord now. Those of you that knew anything about her or had the experience being around her any or hearing her uh, were really blessed. This was a lady that knew God. She really, she was truly a woman that stood in the office of prophet, of the, of the prophet. She was a prophetess. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that call themselves prophetesses. There's Brother Hagin used to call them prophetesses. But most of them were non-prophets from what you could see. But she was a lady that, uh, that genuinely stood in the office of the prophet. And as a result, she got a lot of persecution over it. I mean, that was not a place or a position that, uh, that many people accepted for a woman to stand in. Uh, she was, um, God used her in a way that she was very, very forceful in the ways that she spoke and, and, uh, and so forth. She was um, uh, an old-time Pentecostal lady, and so she had some quirks about her, and, and, and that added to a lot of the criticism and so forth. And, uh, and, and she was a woman that had really been tried by fire, so to speak, because she had, uh, uh, the Lord had dealt with her many, many years before about what he had for her to do. She resisted it for a long time. Then finally she accepted and stepped over into it. And then once she did, she just got butchered through criticism and, and, uh, and so forth. And, uh, so by the time she got into her older years and she was, uh, mid seventies, I guess, Maybe older than that in, uh, uh, at the time that I'm talking about in 1982. By that time, she had come to know God so well, she didn't care what anybody thought. She just did what God told her to do. 
So Brother Hagin said uh, during the, the course of the service, he said, well, Sister Wilkerson, I see you there. Seems to me that the Lord's got something for you to share. So she came up, she took the microphone, and, and she, you'd have to see her. I wish we had a clip we could show you. I wish we had this clip we could show you. Uh, she was always dressed to the nines. I mean, she looked like she was going to some kind of Hollywood ball every time she stepped out of the house, and she wouldn't step out of the house otherwise. Her husband was uh, a car dealer, owned a car dealership, and so they had, uh, God had blessed him over the years, and so she always looked just so. So she comes up here. Here's this little bitty, little bitty white-haired lady with a voice that would rock the timbers in the building. I mean, if you heard her and then saw her, you'd think those two things don't fit, you know, her appearance and her, the way she sounded. And so anyway, she stood up there and she, she started praying in the, in the spirit a little bit and just started a little howdy-doody, you know, glad to be here kind of stuff. And then the spirit of God came on her. And she began to prophesy. And she prophesied about the country, which God used her a lot in, in prophesying about things to come for the nation. It's one of the things that she said that she, uh, she was always impressed to pray about was the country and, and so forth. And so she began to prophesy. Now, this is 1982. This is before any of the things that we've just talked about regarding Russian leaders that happened. Reagan has just been in office for 13 months, and, and uh, he's trying to repair the, the Carter economy and some of the different things that are going on. Not much is being done overseas in foreign policy and so forth, and she starts prophesying about Russia. She prophesies that the, the, Russian, the present Russian leader would die. And then the next Russian leader would come and he'd serve for three months and he'd die. And the next Russian leader would come along and he'd serve for two months and he'd die. Well, she killed off four or five of them. (laughs) Now, after the first one or two, I mean, you're thinking, wow. After four or five, it's like, come on. Seriously. Well, uh, time proved it out. Time proved it to be true. I mean, they started dropping like flies. And so uh, it, it caused me, I don't know how anybody else reacted to it, but it caused me to really pay attention to a lot of the other things that she said because really she was prophesying about Russia just from that standpoint. It didn't have anything to do with the real prophecy that she was giving because then she started prophesying that, again, this is 1981. Reagan served in office through uh, the 1988 election. And then uh, George Bush Sr., H.W. Bush, was elected in 1988. And then after that was Clinton, and, and things really got good. Um, so she prophesied in, 1980, in February of 1982 that certain things about the country, certain things about the Soviet Union, and then she said, and Bush will be the last Christian president that America ever has. Well, the only thing we knew about Bush was the Vice President Bush, H.W. Bush, who's just operating in the office of Vice President and just has been in office for, for 13 months. And then he served as President for four years, was defeated in his second his run for re-election in 1992 by Clinton, who served for eight years. And then George W. Bush came along. Well, nobody, George W. Bush wasn't even on anybody's radar. And so what we thought was George H.W. Bush would be the last Christian president that America had turned out to be G.W., President G.W., no disrespect intended. Well, unless Jeb Bush wins this upcoming election, unless he's the Bush 
that she was prophesying about. And I don't claim that she knew what she was saying or anything. It's, it's interesting the way that God uses you and causes you to say things that mean something different than sometimes you think it means when you speak. I've got a little bit of experience with that, but not anything like on the level she did. But unless Jeb Bush wins this next election, America's seen its last Christian president. Well, does that in, in, imply to you that things are going to get better or worse? Folks, you need to buckle up. You need to prepare yourself for things going really, really much worse than anything you ever expected it to be. And I don't say that to scare anybody because it's, it's not scary to me. It's exciting to me. There's a prophecy that Ezekiel gave that's, uh, that there's a lot of it that we really don't know. One of the things that's been, always been interesting to me is that Paul talked about we prophesy in part and we know in part. One of the things that he said specifically was about prophecy. You're not going to know everything clearly through prophecy. And it's easy for us to put our own interpretation on things and try to put, the, put our own meaning and attach our own meaning to things. But when it comes to prophecy, you're not going to know everything clearly because we only prophesy in parts. You're not getting the whole story. God doesn't tell you the whole story. He tells you what you need to know to set yourself on the right track, but not the whole story. So Ezekiel's prophecy, one of Ezekiel's prophecies at least, is very much like that. He prophesied about a wheel within a wheel. And boy, you want to get yourself confused, look up commentary on, on Ezekiel's wheel within a wheel. Because you've got every different idea under the sun. When to me it seems pretty simple. And I don't claim to know everything about it, but the wheel within a wheel is time. And in Ezekiel's prophecy, it very simply says, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself. A lot of people will disagree with this. But very simply, Ezekiel's prophecy seems to me to be saying that the closer we get to the end, the faster time accelerates. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean the closer we get to the end, a minute is not 60 seconds? No, it means things progress and accelerate in society and in our culture faster than anything that we would have imagined. Look at this gay marriage thing and how it came along in the last, just, just the last few years. It's been fought and argued over for a long time. But boy, once it got momentum, it caught fire and all of a sudden now it's the law of the land. How in the world did that happen? I mean, you go back and you look at the timeline, even the people that, that have, are claiming victory over this thing are thinking, gee, that was quick. On one hand, it seemed like it's been a struggle for them for a long time. And a lot of people have been fighting for it for a long time, I guess. But on the other hand, man, it caught fire and here it goes. Look at this thing that happened in this Charleston, South Carolina shooting. Now all of a sudden the Confederate flag is an enemy. How in the world are these things happening so fast? What does the Confederate flag have to do with anything? I'm from the South, so you may think I'm defending the Confederate flag. I couldn't care less. I've got one flag that I fly and that's the banner of the Lord. That's the only one I care about. But how in the world are things happening this fast? It's Ezekiel's wheel within a wheel. And don't think it's going to slow down. Now turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let me show you something, verses of Scripture I'm sure you're familiar with. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about some things in the last days. Here's the main thing that I want to warn you about before we get into what, what uh, uh, I really have on my heart to share. And that is... Don't think that the gay marriage right, the gay marriage issue has been settled. 
Now, by that, I'm not saying there'll be a challenge to it. There won't. But don't think the people that were promoting gay marriage are now going to say, well, we've won that battle. Now we're done. Have you ever noticed with the devil, whenever he gets you into sin, it's never enough? Never has the devil ever gotten you into sin and said, well, I tripped you up into that, so now I'll leave you alone. Enough is never enough. You'll notice the political party works that way too. Enough is never enough. Whatever tax increase they're proposing, they say this will be it. It's never it. And and taxes never go down. Have you noticed that any time a tax is is, uh, enacted or a social program is enacted, even if they find out it doesn't work, it never changes. Because enough is never enough. And the reason for that is because the devil is behind the world government system. Notice what Paul said about the last days. Chapter 4, 1 Timothy, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What are those? What are seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? Folks, we've seen an example of it this week. People are being seduced into thinking, and that's part of why the time is accelerating as this stuff is going on, because people are being seduced into thinking that this is a real issue. There are real crises taking place that have to be handled or dealt with or something has to be legislated about it. Do you know how many gay couples are affected by this ruling? There are one million gay couples identified in the country. That means two million gay people out of a population of 330 million That would be the the equivalent of letting a family of four with disobedient children decide what everybody else ought to do and how this church ought to run. That's how the percentage works out. It's less than half of a percent. But part of the lie is that that 10 to 30 percent of the American population is gay. Nobody can substantiate that. Nobody can prove that. But you ask, particularly young people, you ask young people what percentage of the population is gay, they'll tell you 10 to 30 percent. Where did they come up with that? It's part of the seducing spirits. See, we think of seducing spirits as being something different than what they are. Seducing, being seduced is not being seduced into sex necessarily. We think of it as as far as the sexual connotation is concerned. Being seduced is being seduced into the lie. The Bible talks about the progression of man's evil is turning the truth into a lie and then being given up to dishonor their bodies among themselves. But you've got to change the truth into the lie first. That's the seducing spirits. And the doctrines of devils are the teachings of devils. It doesn't mean teaching about the devil. It means the teaching of the devil. And a lot of the church has taken hold of the, the devil's idea, the lie, that people are born either gay or straight. Folks, you're not born gay. Nobody is born gay. And I'm going to have to go with the science on this one because if there was a gay gene, don't you think we'd have heard about it? I mean, that seems to be the easiest thing to prove or disprove in the world. If people are born homosexual, if it's on the DNA or genetic level, then there's got to be a gene or or a, a DNA molecule that identifies it. But there's not. Nobody even claims that there is. You'll hear some people say, trying to use science for their for their defense, you'll say, well, we just haven't found it yet. Well, give me a break. We've found genes that determine whether your big toe is going to be longer or shorter than your second toe. But we can't find the gay gene. We've got, found genes that determine eye color. 
but you can't find the gay gene? Come on. But see, that's part of the lie. And a lot of the church is getting sucked in on this. A lot of the church is being seduced by this doctrine of the devil. And you know how the devil works with you. The devil tries to buddy up with you. If he can't force you to do something that he wants you to do, he'll try to buddy up with you. He'll tell you how bad he feels for you. He'll tell you how unfair things are. He'll try to get you, get you feeling sorry for yourself about your situation. Well, that's what's happening with this gay marriage stuff. Well, these are just people in love. Now, these are people in sin. Now, Jesus died for them just as much as he did for you and me. And there's victory for them in their sin just like there's victory for me in my sin. But it's still sin. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat what sin is and never will, whether the court does or not. But see, there's this idea that's all about love. The Supreme Court majority uh, opinion, I think it was uh, uh, Justice Kennedy that wrote it. He talked about this restores the dignity of two people in love. Really? Might want to check with God on that. But see, part of the progression is that when you refuse to retain the knowledge of God in your mind, he gives you over to a reprobate mind. So Paul says, in the last day, the Holy Ghost is speaking specifically that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. He's got to be talking about the church. I mean, uh, non-Christians, unsaved people don't depart from the faith. So he's got to be talking about the church. So he's talking about the state of the church in the last days. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This church is going to be seduced into the lie and accept the teaching of the devil rather than the teaching of the word. Now, folks, I believe that the rulings this week in the Supreme Court were an assault on the truth. I mean, if you just boil it down to its, to its baseline, for me, that's what it comes up to. It was an assault on the truth. Well, there's only one, one established form of truth. And so if this is the devil's work behind the scenes as an assault on the truth, that means it's an assault on the only thing that is an established and eternal form of truth, which is the word of God. So whether it looks like an assault on the word, and I, I know that I used to hear things like that, and I'd think, oh, that's taking a little bit too far. Well, it's really not. Because it's the devil working piece by piece, step by step, to discredit the truth of God's word, which never changes and which never fails. So he's saying that the, the church, in the last days, the Holy Ghost is saying specifically, expressly means specifically, that in the last days... Many in the church world, many Christians, will depart from the truth. Speaking lies and hypocrisy. Now, what's, a, what's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. So that means they'll either be claiming that they're not doing things they're doing or claiming that they're doing things that they're not doing. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, which means there'll be sin in the church, whether it's a sin of commission or a sin of omission. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, that's the phrase I want you to pay attention to, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What does it mean? Well, the conscience is your voice. This is the voice of your spirit. 
So in other words, he's saying the church will a significant portion or well significant. I don't know. Put whatever word you want to describe it. The Holy Ghost is saying enough of the church is going to be operating this way to make it worth mentioning. Failing to follow the voice of their spirit. Departing from the truth, failing to follow the voice of their spirit. It makes it sound like God expects everybody to do that. To give heed to the voice of their spirit. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. Notice it's he does not say the issue in the last days will be gay marriage. He said it will be forbidding to marry. Forbidding to marry. Now what does that mean and how do we get there from here? Interesting thought, huh? See, it doesn't say that gay marriage will be the last day issue. If that were the case, we could say we're here. But the devil's not through. Now, what would cause the church to take a position against the institution of marriage that God has established? There's got to be a different form of marriage proposed and and, uh, uh, prevalent in the last days than what we see now. He's not just saying forbidding gays to marry. He's saying forbidding to marry. Well, what's going to happen? Well, folks, there's any number of things that could happen. I mean, all legal scholars agree that now that the door is open on gay marriage, how do you stop it from being marriage between three or four or five people or whatever? And once that door is open, how do you stop there from being marriage between the guy and his dog? I know it sounds nasty, but you need to know this too. Lester Summerall prophesied that the, the last and the greatest sin before Jesus comes back will be bestiality. He said that back in the 80s, and we just all almost lost our lunch. I mean, everybody threw up a little bit in their mouth, you know. It's going to be... But, folks, there is no end to man's depravity apart from Jesus. So he says the condition of the church will be forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Now, please realize... He's not talking about the condition of the world. He's talking about the condition of the church. So it's not done. Gay marriage is not the end of anything. The legalization of gay marriage is not the end of anything. You might be uh, interested. I'm sure you'll be repulsed to find this out. But there are some psychologists in Canada that are already floating the idea, the same idea as what was floated 10 years ago about homosexuality that pedophilia is an inherent trait just like homosexuality is. That those that are given to pedophilia can't change themselves. And so sex with children should be a protected class, which, by the way, since the 2009 Hate Crimes Act was passed by the Congress, pedophiles are a protected class of people. They didn't tell you that, did they? It's true. Look it up. So there's any number of ways and places that this stuff could go. It has not reached the end of the road. Well, if that's the case, if the Bible's telling us ahead of time, God must want us to know. And if he wants us to know, there's got to be a reason why he wants us to know. And what is that reason if not to prepare ourselves? Turn with me back to Ezekiel chapter 28. Folks, this is the real crux of the issue. I won't belabor the point. And get into things that I don't know or just things that I think. 
But let's look at Ezekiel chapter 28 and see how God tells us the things are established. Beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. Now, Tyrus was a a kingdom in that day. You've heard of uh, the cities of Tyre and Sidon in Jesus' ministry. This is the land in which those uh, cities existed, very near to where Israel, the land of Israel is. Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. Well, you see what his problem is. He thinks he's God. Now, that's not unusual. Pharaoh thought he was God, too. He promoted himself as God, and that's why that's one of the things he used his credibility to strong-arm the people and, and uh, get everybody to follow him, and nobody questions him, and so forth. Can I ask you just a side note? What keeps a religious organization from saying the same thing? What keeps a man of any religious organization or religious affiliation from saying, I am God's man and therefore what I say cannot cannot be challenged? I've been very impressed with some things that the Pope has said recently. Not pleased, but impressed. Because now that his opinion is out there, nobody can question it because he's God's man. Really? Is that the way it's supposed to be? As many as are led by the Pope, they are the sons of God. (laughs) Folks, if there's ever been a day where we need to know how to be led by our spirits, led by the Holy Ghost within our own spirits, now's the time. Because even the church will be promoting lies, doctrines of devils and seducing spirits. You better know what's true for yourself. Don't believe something because I say it. You check it out with the word. If what I'm saying is true, it'll bear, it'll bear truth with the word. It'll bear witness with the word of God. Don't take what anybody says, me included, as saying, well, God told me this, so this is the way it is, and you can't challenge it because God told me. Nobody stands in that place. Nobody. So to say unto the prince of Tyrus, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast lift, uh, thine heart is lifted up, And thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Yet thou art a man. So God is very clear about you're saying you're a God, but he's talking to a man, a human being. Right? Keep that in mind. Yet thou art a man and not God, though thou thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. That's pretty good. It's a gifted individual. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and hast gotten gold and silver under thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, hast thou increased thy riches and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. In other words, this is a very talented leader. But he's let it go to his head. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Will thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? Is that what you're going to tell the people, the armies that defeat you? You're God then? But thou shalt be a man and no God. 
in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Now, what would cause this guy to be lifted up that way? I mean, obviously, he's got some gifts and got some abilities. He could avoid some of the destruction that comes upon him by just not letting himself get lifted up in pride. But what causes that? What caused him to be in the position that he's in? What caused him to have the, the, um, uh, the prominence as the, the prince or the leader of Tyrus that he did? What's behind all this? Well, that's the point of this story. Because something is behind world governments. This is a national government for the land of Tyre. And there's something behind this that has made them successful, economically successful. He's a very intelligent man. He's got greater wisdom than Daniel. Daniel had revelation from God. So that's a pretty high compliment in my opinion. But what's behind this? What caused it to be this way? Why do some countries flourish and other countries are in despair? What's behind it? Well, he's going to tell you there's a double kingdom set up. Verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, the prince, the human being that's in charge of the kingdom of Tyre is called a prince. Here, he says there's a king. Well, you understand the progression of things. A king is over a prince. And that's the, that's the impression that you're supposed to get from this. There's a ruling, uh, there's an operation of rule that's, that's governing and controlling the human being in charge. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now he said that the prince of Tyrus was, was wiser than Daniel. Here he says, You're full of wisdom. So he's even greater than the, than the human being that's called the prince. Full of wisdom and, and perfect in beauty. Notice verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Now, who does the Bible ever talk about that related to a human being? Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. This is God speaking. He said, I set you in that position. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. What human being does that? Folks, he's not talking about a human being. Verse 15. Thou wast perfect in, the way, in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. He's talking about the devil. And notice he said he calls the devil... This individual that he's referring to that was in the Garden of Eden and uh, every precious stone was his covering and, and uh, walked up and down in the mountains of God and, and was the anointed cherub that covered. That uh, has reference to rule. And God said, I set you so. I gave you that rule. Now, this is before uh, the rule that Adam, uh, this is the rule that the devil had was obviously the rule that, uh, that he possessed before Adam and Eve were given the wor- uh, dominion over all the work of God's hands in the Garden of Eden. But God said, I set you in this position. So what is it saying? It's saying the devil is the one behind the prince of Tyrus that caused him to be lifted up in pride. Not only caused his success, but caused him to be lifted up in pride. Thine heart was lifted up, verse 16. Or I'm sorry, I skipped verse 15. 
By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the, uh, filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. By reason of thy brightness, I will cast thee to, gr- to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled the, thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Traffic means business, by the way. It means doing business, merchandising. So whatever there was before Adam and Eve were placed on the earth that the devil was in charge of, there was some kind of business, commerce, or whatever going on. See, we've got the idea that things were wilderness situations. Folks, God's never presided over a wilderness in his life. If God's involved and if God's people are involved, if God's creation is involved, walking in in, uh, his likeness and in his image... It's impossible for there to be a wilderness. It's just not the way he works. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore, I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All them that all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and thou shalt never, and never shalt thou be any more. Now, there, I don't know if you noticed, but there are five things that God said he will do to the devil. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth. Uh, I, uh, verse 16, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, they cover. Now, there's another place in the Bible over in Isaiah 14 that if you go over there, you'll find out that, that the devil said five things about what he will do Regarding God, he said, I will exalt my throne above the heavens. I will be like the most high God. Here's God's answer to the devil's I wills. Really? Okay, then I will cast thee to the ground. I'll destroy thee before the kings. Everybody that knows thee will look upon thee and be astonished. The Bible tells us, not just here but in other places as well, the Bible tells us that when we finally see the devil, we'll ask, is this the guy that caused all the trouble? Because what he will appear to us is so much different than what we think of him because of his words. Folks, the devil is a defeated foe. There's no reason to be afraid of him. He's a defeated foe. But the point is, notice the the double kingdom setup. The world ruler, the natural human ruler of Tyre, the kingdom of Tyre, is being governed, literally is the puppet, if you will, of the devil who's behind the scenes spiritually. Turn with me over to Daniel chapter 10. Here's another example of that dual kingdom. Daniel chapter 10. I'll start reading while you're turning. Beginning in verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, A thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. That's King James' English way of confusing you by saying, Daniel understood from the writings of Jeremiah that the time of Babylonian captivity was coming to an end. It had been a long time, but the time was coming to a close. But he didn't know exactly when it was going to end, so he started off on a fast to get a revelation from God. That's what all that means. 
In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. That means he went on a fast for three weeks. I eat no pleasant bread. Now, his fast was not not eating anything. His fast was not eating anything that tasted good to him. I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh nor wine into my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, or however you say it, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz. His body also was like beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and in his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Can we all agree that this must be an angel? Some kind of spirit being. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. So this is a supernatural occurrence. He's the only one that saw the vision, but everybody else knew that there was something supernatural going on and they ran to get away. Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption and I retained no strength. Yet I heard I the voice of his words. And when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face and my, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. The people get upset when you lay hands on folks and they fall down. Wait till God starts setting them up. That's what happened to Daniel. God set him up. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day. Now, how long has he been fasting? Twenty-one days. He said, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Now, folks, heaven must be a long way away if it takes 21 days to get here for an angel. I want you to notice how things work. Man petitioned God. God answered immediately. But he didn't receive the answer immediately. Why not? He's, the angel is going to tell him how this stuff works. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. One in 20 days. Now, who is the prince of the kingdom of Persia? Here it's talking about somebody, some evil force, demonic force behind the kingdom of Persia, the kingdom that's holding Israel in bondage. The kingdom that it was prophesied that that bondage would end after 70 years. That time is approaching, and Daniel sees that from Jeremiah's prophecies. And so he's petitioning the Lord, okay, Lord, we're coming up on the 70 years. How's this stuff going to work? When are we going to be turned loose? And God answered immediately. You need to understand this, folks. God answers your prayers instantly. When you pray effectively. Now, that doesn't count for things that are prayed out of the will of God. It doesn't count for things that are prayed contrary to his word or without the word of God as a foundation. It doesn't count for things that are prayed apart from faith, which always needs the word as its foundation. But a prayer prayed effectively, a prayer prayed according to the word of God is always answered instantly. But that doesn't mean you're always going to know the answer instantly. Why not? Because there are spiritual forces at work between you and God. 
that are trying to keep you from getting your answer. Now, what if Daniel had only fasted for 20 days and gone away and said, well, I don't know why God didn't answer me. Here I did my part. I'm, I'm seeking his plan and his purpose for Israel. And the, the word says, I mean, for goodness sakes, Jeremiah said it'd be for 70 years. I just don't know why God doesn't answer me. I wonder how many Christians have done that today. I wonder how many people have given up on the answer before they received it and blamed God for not doing his part. Are you out there? From the first day that thou didst set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before God, your words were heard, and I am come for your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now he mentions both the prince of Persia, and he mentions also kings of Persia. So I'm not sure exactly how this setup works, but I do know that the Bible indicates to us that there is a spiritual kingdom that motivates and influences natural governmental kingdoms here on the earth. Now, why would we think that that's not the truth with the same thing is true with our country? Are we so foolish as to think, well, we're America and we're all Christians and so the devil doesn't work against us? Folks, if you ever did think that, this week should be an eye-opener for you. And I've got bad news for you. The Bible says men will get worse and worse until the end. How are they going to get worse than what they are now? (laughs) Wait and see. There'll be things that will happen that we'll look back and and, and say to ourselves, well, if we had talked about that back on whatever today is, June the 28th, we never would have believed it. And that may just be next month. That's how fast things are happening. That's how fast the wheel within the wheel is moving. That's how fast the devil is advancing. Well, you need to know this. You need to know how this works. You need to know that it works this way. So that you know how to operate in this last day world. So he said, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, remained there or came to help me. I'm sorry. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I'm come to make you understand what shall befall the people, thy people in the latter days. And for the end, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and stood and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision, my sorrows are turned upon me and I have retained no strength. Notice what he said was the impact upon him when he saw the future. It sapped him of strength. It filled him with sorrow. Folks, these are the days to weep for America. The America that I grew up in is gone. Never to return. There's no political party. There's no political candidate that will turn the clock back. It's not going to happen. Now, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote for the best man I can. But I don't have any trust in that man, whoever he is. I've really got to be careful that I don't go too far here. 
Because I could tell you who the next president is going to be. Better get ready. You might not like it. He finishes speaking some things. Well, uh, verse 17. For how can the servant of this, my Lord, talk with me this, talk with this, my Lord? In other words, how can you say this stuff to me? Who am I? For as for me, straightway there retaineth no strength in me, neither is there any breath left in me. Then there came again and uh, touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. And said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had thus spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? Do you know where I came from? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Now, folks, in case you don't know the, the history of Israel, after they were delivered from the bondage of the Babylonians, the Persians came. And after the Persians came, the Grecians came. So this angel is saying, I've got more battles to fight. My fight's not over. Why? Because the devil is always going to try to control the kingdoms of the world. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 4. Let me prove it to you from the New Testament. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We've got two that show us this double kingdom set up in the Old Testament. Now let's get a New Testament reference. Luke chapter 4 tells us about Jesus being tempted of the devil. I want you to notice one of the temptations in this light. Um, Well, let's just start in verse 1. It said, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command that this stone be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Notice the first temptation that the devil brought to Jesus was to do something contrary to the word of God and the place of prominence that the word of God had held in his life. In other words, put your physical needs, your physical desires, your hunger before anything else. Satisfy your flesh. Satisfy your belly. The Bible says Jesus has been hungry because he's been fasting for 40 days. Well, I can imagine that to be true. I sometimes get hungry praying for 40 minutes. But Jesus keeps things in their proper order. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. Jesus knew that, that the way to overcome the flesh was to keep the word first, which is the one thing the devil attacks first and foremost in your life. He'll either do it trying to force you to do it, or he'll do it trying to buddy up with you to do it through your feelings or whatever. But the key is to keep the word first. If that's the key in Jesus' temptation by the devil, shouldn't that be the key in the church for the last days? Well, sure. And the devil taking him up to a high mountain showed him all the showed unto him all. Everybody say all. All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now is that past kingdoms or is that present kingdoms or is that future kingdoms? It says all. 
In other words, in a moment of time, he showed him things past, things present, and things future. What did he show him? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. That means natural governments. That means he showed him Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. That means he showed him the Babylonian kingdom. Or Nebuchadnezzar was Babylon. He showed him the Persian kingdom. He showed him the Grecian kingdom. He showed him the Roman kingdom that existed at that time. He showed him the kingdom of, uh, of, of the world's following his time. He showed him Alexander the Great and the Greeks, which was after Jesus. He showed him all these things in a moment of time. Now, how in the world could Satan show him these things, and how could he offer him these things? Well, he's going to describe and he's going to explain it to Jesus. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said unto him, All this power, literally the word power is the word authority, all this authority will I give you, and the glory of them. I will give you the glory of the kingdoms of the world. For that is delivered unto me. In other words, because it belongs to me. Now notice he said that it was delivered. Who delivered it? Adam. When God put Adam and Eve on the earth and made man in his likeness and in his image, he gave man dominion over all the works of his hands. That would include natural governments. That would include whatever governments, world governments are here to come. When Adam fell... And lost his place of dominion over the earth. The Bible clearly says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, that Satan is now the god of this world. What does that mean? That means he's influencing and controlling world governments among other things. All this power or authority will I give you and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will I give it. Now please notice that phrase. And to whoever I want to I give it. And wouldn't it stand to reason that the devil tempted Jesus with this and he identified his authority? And Jesus didn't call him a liar. Jesus didn't say, oh, that doesn't belong to you. That all belongs to God. That's all in the hand of God. Don't, haven't you read in the Old Testament how the Bible says the, hand, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he wants? This doesn't belong to you. That's not what he said. That's not how Jesus responded. How did Jesus respond? Satan said, If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now, doesn't it stand to reason? If the devil tempted Jesus with this, he'd tempt other men with this too. He says very simply, that he, uh, very clearly, that he can give it to whoever he wants to. It's an amazing thing to me how so many people in positions of power think that they have the love and the support and the and the, the adoration of people. Which in many positions, in many cases, maybe not everyone, but in many cases, it just simply means that the devil gave them power. He's still the one in charge. Jesus coming back did not restore the authority of the kingdoms of the world back to God. You remember that was one of the things that his disciples questioned him on. Are you going to turn around the kingdoms now? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, if it's not of this world, what world is it of? It's the spiritual world. It's a spiritual kingdom. Now, folks, don't get me wrong. The Bible says very, very clearly that there's coming a time where Jesus will set up a kingdom upon the earth and he'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. But that's the millennium. That's after the tribulation period. That's after he's come back for us. 
We've spent time in heaven and then he comes back to exact judgment upon the earth. So it's only in the millennium, according to what the Bible says, it's only in the millennium, the thousand year reign of Jesus, that he's going to rule over the kingdoms of this world. Until then, who is ruling? It's the devil. That's why we shouldn't be surprised that the devil's kids acting like their father. That's why we shouldn't be surprised and really shouldn't expect the, the, the kingdoms of this world to operate in a godly manner. Let me go so far as to say this, and again, I'm on the edge of things and I've got to quit. Got to be careful not to go too far. But I think I'm okay with saying this. Well, I know I'm okay saying this. It's safe for us to say that the only time that the kingdoms of these, this world, our country included, have promoted godliness have been when the leaders feared the people and didn't think they could get away with anything else. Because world governments have always been controlled of the devil. Now, God's certainly stepped in, put godly men in position. I mean, you go back and you read some of the character traits of, of the founding fathers and George Washington in particular as the first president and some of that kind of stuff. Man, it'll make you feel small. It'll make you appreciate the character that, that, that exists or at least existed in certain people. But it never lasts. Jesus said of, that the children of this world are wiser in their operation than the children of light. In other words, that's another way of saying the children of the devil, the unsaved people, know how to operate in the world system, which is controlled by the devil because it's their father, better than the children of light do. Why? Because they fall right in with the program. Most political parties are looking for somebody that has no character because then they can mold them to be or do or say whatever they want them to say. And there's always somebody behind the scenes. There's always somebody pulling the strings, whether it's the purse strings or whether it's, uh, you know, some other uh, form of leverage that they have. There's always somebody behind the, behind the curtain pulling the strings. Well, what does the person behind the strings want to do? I've never seen anybody working behind the scenes that wants to promote godliness. Why? Because people that operate in a godly manner don't usually get in the position where they can pull the strings. Why? Because it's the devil's system. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, folks, we're to realize that one thing never changes. No matter what the devil does, no matter how much the devil accelerates his plan and his agenda, one thing never changes, and that's the word of God. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 20. This truth never changes, never will. You can count on it forever. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Folks, if the, if the, uh, the last day church, one of the characteristics of the last day church is that they're going to have, uh, their con- they're going to ignore their conscience. Their conscience is going to be seared like with a hot iron. That means like being scarred over. If you got anything where you ever burned yourself real bad on a stove or an iron or something like that, you know how that, that flesh, uh, what used to be called proud flesh, I don't know what anybody calls it now, but it's, a, it's scar tissue. Well, your heart can have scar tissue. Now, what causes scar tissue on, upon your heart or upon your spirit, the voice of your spirit, ignoring it? 
ignoring it gets to the place where you don't even realize it's there anymore. You don't even hear the voice of your own spirit anymore. Well, if that's going to be the condition of many who shall depart from the faith in the last days, many in the church, if that's going to be the condition of many in the church, shouldn't that be an area where we shore up on? Shouldn't that be an area where we develop a sensitivity to our spirits, develop a sensitivity to the voice of our spirit, meaning our consciences? I think so. Because it will always be true, both now and all the way to the end. It will always be true. That as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Holy Ghost, it's more important for us to be led in these last days by the Holy Ghost than any other time in the history of the world. And the reason for that is because the devil's activity is accelerated. And he's going to be working overtime trying to seduce the church. I don't mean just the church and church services. I mean every Christian trying to seduce every Christian and teach him his own ideas and his own doctrines. We've got to know the truth to arm ourselves against that, don't we? That's why we're going to teach on being led by the Spirit. I'd, uh, turn back with me to Isaiah 3. I won't do the whole thing, but I'll do part of it. Isaiah chapter 3. Now, Isaiah chapter 2, and let me, let me tell you right now, I kind of like to put a disclaimer on things when I tell you up front to check things out. Don't just take my word for it, but check things out. If you check this out, you'll find out that everybody disagrees. Uh, nobody can agree, really, on, on who this belongs to, who this is written to. Chapter 2 is talking about the millennium where people beat their swords into plowshares and, and uh, there's no more wars and stuff like that. But chapter 3 can't be about the millennium because it's talking about the destruction of Israel and it's talking about uh, the destruction of specifically Jerusalem and Judah. So it can't be about the millennium. Well, if it's, who is it for then? Is it just for Israel or does it pertain to the church? Well, for me, it doesn't really matter because it shows the principle. It shows the principle of um, judgment and the time of judgment upon Israel because of their disobedience and their turning away from the word? Well, that, the same thing would be true for any country that turns away from the truth. Any, God is going to deal with any... Uh, how do I say this? Um, God doesn't deal with Israel differently when it comes to disobedience to his direction than he dealt with any other country. He gave Israel a law, and they were responsible for keeping that law. No other country had the law, but every other country knew the difference between right and wrong. So according to Romans, what Paul wrote by the Holy Ghost, every person has that knowledge in himself of right and wrong. So God judges everybody by that knowledge within himself, whether they had the law or not. Which means that God's going to deal with every country in the same way eventually, whether they have the law or whether they don't. So the same things, the same uh, results of turning away from the truth of God And the truth of God's word for Israel would be true for America or would be true for France or true for Germany or true for any other country, wouldn't it? I mean, otherwise, God's a respecter of persons. And as a result, it says, and the whole third chapter is really good. Um, Let's start in verse 8. I just want to pick out a couple of parts of this. 
Isaiah 3, verse 8. For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke his, uh, his, the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance does witness against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. Now, that could have some meaning. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say ye to the righteous that it will be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. But woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Now what I want to get across to you folks, and what I want to leave you with, and there's a lot of things I could pull out of this chapter and talk to you about, but I won't. But the thing I want to leave you with is God's word never fails, no matter what the country does. Now, I'm expecting a lot of things to happen in the last days. The solicitor general, in his oral arguments uh, with the, uh, the gay marriage case before the Supreme Court that was decided on this last week, or that the, the decision was announced this last week, said openly when the question was asked, what are you going to do about the religious organizations that oppose gay marriage on a religious basis? And he openly said, well, the tax-exempt status of those organizations would necessarily have to be examined. So you're going to have the opportunity. I, I, I'm, I feel confident in saying this. I, this is not by the word of the Lord, just seeing the, reading the tea leaves, so to speak. You're going to have an opportunity to decide, are you giving for a tax benefit or are you giving because God told you to give? Because the tax benefit is going to go away for the church. Because, see, the enemy is not just about the freedom for his people to do what they want to do. It's about the demand on the people of God, his sworn enemy, to do what he dictates and not what God dictates. So you're going to have all kinds of opportunities in these last days to decide what do you really believe. Now, the choice won't be are you saved or not saved. That's the choice for heaven. But I'm not talking about that for the church. I believe there's going to be a flood of people getting saved in the last days by the power of God. I believe God will show himself strong. But what I'm talking about is that people that are saved are going to have to decide, are they people of the word or are they not? It won't send them to hell if they don't. Because heaven and hell is based on one thing, and that is Jesus. But they'll have opportunity to decide, am I truly a person of the word? Or am I just going to go with whatever gets me by? You're going to have lots of opportunities like that in the last days. You better settle it before the opportunity arises. You better decide up front. Because even in the midst of destruction for Jerusalem and Judah, God said, by the prophet, say unto the righteous, it'll be well with you. God will take care of his people. God will take care of the people that are operating on his word because the word never fails. The word never will fail. He will always watch over his word to perform it under any circumstances, under any Political or cultural conditions. You need to know that. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that we have the privilege to be doers thereof. We thank you, Father, for taking care of us economically. Certainly, you've taken care of us spiritually. Thank you for making a way for us in spite of the things that our country does and the the advanced work of the enemy. We do not fear what the devil will do to us, and we do not fear what man shall do unto us. We choose this day to be people of your word. 
We reaffirm that, Father, no matter how bad things get, no matter what the culture turns out to be, no matter what laws are enacted. We will be people of the word. We will give ourselves to you and we will look to the guidance of the Holy Ghost to help us navigate the minefield of this present world and that which is to come. Thank you, Father, for seeing us through in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Come on back and be with us tonight if you can.